Welcome to episode 18 of Perspectives Unsettled, a podcast that exists to challenge our assumptions about faith and move the average Christian from status quo into boldness and in action. I'm your host, Emily Luttrell. And I'm Ben Stewart. With us is our producer, Noah Gray. Hello. And today we have a guest, our friend, a pastor of a partner church and now board member, Carlos Serrano is back. Woohoo. What's up, Carlos? Hey, what's up? Glad to be here. Glad you're here, man. Thank you for taking, this is his second time. Yeah. We'll remind viewers. I, I should have known or listeners. Uh, which podcast was it that we had Carlo on? I should have looked that up. It um, was episode seven where we talked about missions and race. Look at you, Emily. You had it right at the top of your brain. I have some notes. Well done. Yep. So, um, Carlo, it is great to have you back. And it's, it's not just a random reason that you're here. Like Emily said, um, it's been a lot of fun over the last year or two to develop a friendship first and foremost. And, um, you know, in addition to that, the kingdom partnership and collaboration personally, uh, and also between just different organizations that we're connected to. And then you have also joined our board, which I can say in all authenticity that I'm very excited about and very thankful for. So thanks for taking that journey with us. So there's definitely a lot of relational context, but in terms of why you are part of this particular podcast, several weeks ago, Emily and I were talking about just kind of the roadmap for content and themes for the next few podcasts. And this one, we started talking about, man, it'd be great to have a podcast that focuses specifically on healthy leadership. What does healthy leadership look like in general? But uh, as in our case, in a ministry context, in a nonprofit context, in a maybe a church context. One, because that's just a, a really good thing to talk about, but two, a little bit in response to the ever-growing in popularity uh, other podcasts of the rise and fall of Mars Hill and just how that's revealing a lot of some of the unhealth that exists in leadership in general. And it just so happens that you, Carlo, have a PhD in organizational leadership. It's true. Uh, that not only do you have the PhD, you have, you also currently teach in multiple locations, um, and institutions. You teach organizational leadership, uh, and practice, you know, very, um, a lot of diversity in that realm and your specific expertise. And in fact, your dissertation was focused on resilient leadership and the ethic and morals of leadership. Yes. So with all of that to say, I'm sure that's going to come up more and, you know, there'll be times to, to sort of naturally draw on that and call on that in this conversation. But again, all that to say, as we were talking about this particular topic and wanting to have a guest as part of it, it seemed very natural for that reason alone uh, to have you. So with all of that, that's a, that's a way to say welcome. That's a way to introduce you to the listener and uh, to just say, we're really glad that you're a part of this conversation. So thanks again for being here. Yeah, me too. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So I know that uh, the, the, the topic is going to be a fun one to talk about, but probably what everybody's dying for is the Ben Stewart icebreaker conversa- uh, question. So before we go any further, this one's been kicked around already today. I'm not going to lie. Some of us have had a little bit of time to think about this one. But the question is, if you could only have one specific snack to snack on for the rest of your life, what would it be? If you had to pick just one snack for the rest of your life, That's what too would easy. it be? That's too easy. Oh, too it's too easy. easy. Okay, you're ready. 
Yeah, sa- sour gummy worms. Ooh, sour gummy, sour gummy worms. worms. The sour. pound for pound champ of snacks. Uh, Is there a particular we, brand? Believe it or not, like Trolley? The, the generic gas station brand uh-huh. is actually the pound for pound champ in my opinion the trolleys you they're good they're okay there's yep. there's a there's a lot of them out there but i not for price wise just for texture and all of that i i prefer give me the cheapest brand uh that i could get i like to stick them in the freezer believe it or not so okay. i get them, stick them in the freezer uh that makes them last a, a little bit longer but you've got the sweet the salty the sour yeah um, no nutritional value which yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah no that's that's right if a snack is good for you it's actually not a snack that's a meal so uh yeah i'm all about sour worms. And, and it has to be the worm like it's not there can't be a bear uh, yeah, size I, or the shape. bears, I think, are, are condescending. I think they're ju- judgy, so <laughs> yeah. I don't like the bears, right? My son likes the the watermelon ones, but oh, sure. I have, uh, mm. I'm not that's too sweet on the sweet side for okay. me, so yeah, yeah. It has to be the worm for me. Okay, sour gummy worms are my go to airplane uh snack, oh, that's what I get at wise. the airport. That would have been mm-hmm. wise. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, will, I will say, I will say, sour patch kids, mm-hmm. they're they're a close second, mm-hmm. but. Um, I kind of just eat them by the fistful. So it doesn't really count as a kid to me. It's just kind of a blob at that point. Uh, but, uh, that's yeah. awesome. Okay. You were ready with that answer. I, I, I respect that. Yeah. Emily, are you ready? I'm ready. Cause we had this conversation I earlier today. I, I was priming so you. I know, I know you don't love being caught off guard. So. And it's a very serious question to me. I, mm-hmm. I had a lot Anything of to do with food is respect. a very serious question. Yeah. So my answer was the classic like cheese and crackers. Like a good Ritz cracker and some sharp cheddar cheese. I feel like that that's what I would miss the most yeah. if all of the snacks were taken away from me. I yeah. think that's what I'd have to go yeah. I'd go for it. Okay. That's a good answer. I affirm that answer. Oh, thank sure. you. Yeah. I was yeah. I was on the edge of my seat wondering yeah. if it was okay. Any particular kind of cheese? Um, just like the sharpest cheddar oh. you could get. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's good. That's good. Noah. I shouldn't have left right after staff meeting. Is what you're <laughs> this is saying. What we yeah, talk about. that's right. This is what we talk about. I miss community office space. Yeah. Um, if it's candy, it's a Reese's. That's easy. Sure. If it's oh, yeah. any kind of snack though, and, and I'm like a snack that you're like two o'clock. Right. Not, I just had lunch, but I'm right. kind of not quite full yet. Yeah. It's gotta be something crunchy. It's okay. gotta be salty. Okay. It needs to be a little spicy. Yeah. I mean, I can do like a chips and salsa yep. would be a really okay. hard that's, thing to, that's getting to leave specific. behind. That's good. Yep. Yeah. Chips and salsa. Yeah. Are you a mild, medium, or hot salsa guy? Uh, medium. I mean, I like a hot salsa. Yeah. I like spicy things, but I mean, a snack isn't necessarily the time. <laughs> if I'm sitting at my, my desk, right. just eating some salsa and chips, yep. I don't want to then have to go back to the kitchen to get more water. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That's just ruin my afternoon. Just the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm going like candy, it's probably a a Reese's as well, but more like when I think of a snack, I can't take yours, Emily, which I tried to do earlier. I know. So I'll pick something different and I'm, I'm probably going with like a granola bar. I'm a big fan of like, especially the chewy, not so much the The chewy, the chewy granola bar. Not mm. like the hard, crumbly kind, you know, yeah. that go everywhere. Like the Nature Valley. Exactly. Yeah, just those are those so are, annoying. Those are bad. So annoying. <laughs> but like, you know, the one that's got a little bend in it, a little chew mm-hmm. in it. Chocolate chips, you know, chocolate chips. Mm, kind of depends on the mood, but I'm pro chocolate chip in the in a granola bar. Yeah. Mm. So, well, that's great, guys. Great, great job answering that question.
the evangelical or Christian world, it seems like everyone is supposed to become a leader. You know, everyone gets invited to leadership training and summits. Everyone is encouraged to read all the books and listen to all the podcasts. Somehow everyone is supposed to be leading something. Even if you're just trying to help out somewhere, you are becoming a servant leader. And it's become, maybe inadvertently, a really prominent part of our faith. Uh, I was just Googling leadership podcasts and six out of 10 of the results were explicitly Christian or they were led by pastors. And with the political climate of the past few years, and as well as, you know, a lot of abuse allegations and scandals coming from prominent Christian leaders, um, the conversation around leadership has kind of started to change. With the popularity of podcasts like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and with books like Jesus and John Wayne, the analysis and critique of leadership, and specifically Christian leadership, it's basically trendy at this point. And some leaders make it really easy to be a critic, but it is much harder to identify healthy practices and make an effort to take steps in that direction when change is necessary. So today, we are not just going to be critics, but we're going to be looking at the problems of leadership and asking, what is ideal organizational leadership and what is just idealistic? How do you recognize leadership problems from the outside as a supporter or a church member? And how should we respond? And is it possible to overemphasize the importance of one person's sense of calling? So leadership in general is a very broad, big topic. When we talk about healthy leadership, is there maybe just like a few bullet points or things to get our heads around, you know, a, a basic definition of, of what we mean when we say healthy, good leadership in an organization? Wow, that's a big question. Leadership <laughs> is, uh, it's a big question because for, for 50, 60 years in the U.S., we've tried to define leadership. Um, there's, you could, you could write volumes on the various definitions. I think uh, in Christian leadership circles, I think Maxwell's definition of leadership is probably the best. Leadership is influence. So then healthy leadership would be uh, influencing individuals in a healthy way. So what a leader does is a leader gets a group of people to go in a direction that they either don't realize they need to go in, or in many cases, they don't want to go in that direction. But mm -hmm. a leader, um, kind of to, to quote Kuzis and Posner, a leader knows the way and shows the way and goes the way. So healthy leadership, then I would say, is going to do all of those things, but it's going to be for the betterment of the follower, for the betterment of the organization, for the betterment of society. That's ultimately what healthy leadership would do. So the converse then would be um, a selfish version of that, a self-serving version of that. So a, a an unhealthy leadership ultimately is not only going to break the follower, it's eventually going to break that leader as well. Still influence, mm -hmm. it's just which direction are you influencing people towards? That makes sense? Yeah. That's good. And I think one of the things that you said there, Carlo, that I picked up on was, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but basically painting this picture of, yes, you're moving people in a particular direction, but doing so in such a way where they themselves are flourishing as well. You know, that, that there is a, there might be a solidarity and a, and a sort of a, sense of unity around a particular goal or direction or mission, what have you, but that the leadership 
and the subsequent you know people who are behind that or part of that leadership are part of it in such a way where they themselves flourish as well and i and i think you know when i think about that question what is ideal that would be a key element uh, for me at least is that whatever leadership is in place whatever goal or objective we're moving towards the goal itself is not only good and right and healthy and redemptive but it's also a context and environment where people are flourishing along the way. Yeah, absolutely. You think about, I think about leadership as a continuum. So this is how we would teach it. If this was a organization leadership theory, one Oh one, and you want to understand the different types of leaderships, think of the continuum. So on the far left, for lack of better word, on the far left would be all of the negative types of leadership. So this is leadership that is not relational. This is leadership that ultimately serves the leader. So think of like a transaction, uh, think of like an employment where you work for a boss and there's no relationship. They don't care about you. You don't care about them. They give you a check, you go home, you do what they say. That kind of an, of an environment uh, would be more of a transactional type of leadership. Um, more to the left of that would be like authoritarian type of leadership where it's very domineering and very demanding and you're just a cog in the wheel. And um, so all of that lives out there in in kind of that far side of the, of the continuum. I would also include in there narcissistic leadership. So leadership that is actually... Uh, ego in disguise. There's an idea of overt versus covert narcissism. So overt narcissism, we get that. Uh, we see it all the time, but covert narcissism cloaks itself as a form of good leadership, but really it's still just serving the leader. And uh, I know I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. That's where a lot of church leaders actually live in the world of covert narcissism. Uh, they need Jesus and therapy to unpack that, but that's, that's essentially where it is. So that's one end of the spectrum. As you move towards the middle of this continuum, you get some, some healthier versions of leadership until you get to the middle where I think you, you find, for example, a concept called transformational leadership that essentially uses uh, individual consideration and idealized influence and inspirational motivation and intellectual stimulation in order to bring the best out of the follower in order for the organization to thrive. I think that's a good, healthy middle. It's not completely altruistic. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the follower because ultimately the bottom line is we want the organization to thrive. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the middle. Then as you get to the, to the other side, to the far right side, I think this is where you add a heavy dose of moral and ethical leadership that ultimately lands at what I think the ideal is, which is a form of servant leadership, mm. servant leadership, where the motive of the leader is 100% to make the follower better. Mm. It's not about the organization winning. It's about the follower winning. And that's the difference between servant leadership and a transformational leadership style. Transformational leaders care about you genuinely, but they also care about the organization winning. And the reason they're investing in you is they actually want the organization to win. Whereas a servant leader has this form of altruism where the organization can blow up, but if you win, we can start another organization. I think that's the, the ultimate model we see represented when we dig into the sacred texture, sacred text, we look at Jesus. That's what, that's what I see. Now, let me be careful. And I don't want to just say Jesus was a servant leader. He was Jesus. So 
anything that's good in leadership or any, any field or spectrum, we're going to find that in him. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, I want to be careful on that because people try to pigeonhole what's the best leadership style and what's the best. And I don't know that we can identify what the best is. We can say what the worst are, but Hmm. uh, I think servant leadership is, is, is a pretty good, pretty good direction. That's good. Emily, I'm curious, what have you in your experience under, you know, working with different, not just particular leaders, but in different contexts, whether it's a volunteer or paid positions or whatever, what have been things that you've experienced as ideal, as good um, from different leadership contexts that you've been in? Is this you fishing for compliments about how you obviously have been the best leadership (laughs) experience? (laughs) Yeah, I think in general, the, the teams I've enjoyed being a part of the most, whether it's through work or mostly volunteer stuff, the, the leader was very open about what, um, his shortcomings were and what he needed other people to contribute to. And I think that helps a sense. I think that helps foster a sense of, you know, everybody here is needed and important and valued. Um, and we're all working to help, you know, somebody accomplish a vision. Somebody's got to be in charge in some mm-hmm. sense. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking more specifically about whenever I helped volunteer with the film team that was mm-hmm. involved in my church and we had, uh, a director that we would work under and he was ultimately in charge and had the last say, but he was very much encouraging in everybody's specific gifts and was really aware of when he knew how to do something and when he Mm. needed someone else to help do something. So I guess really just humility (laughs) is probably something that I've valued um, that I really think makes somebody a better leader. It's not kind of a a side effect of Mm -hmm. someone who happens to be good. Like, no, this is actually making you a more competent person to be in charge. So obviously people are not perfect. I know this is shocking to everybody (laughs) listening, but when we talk about, you know, these ideal situations of of organizations that have been led really well um, or things we're supposed to be doing as leaders, it always kind of comes to this tension of, well, that would be great, but this is reality. And, you know, people will mess up or things don't work the way they should. And uh, a servant leader might not be strong enough or would get taken advantage of or, you know, all these other things that come up. So is it idealistic in some way to to kind of work toward these, you know, visions of what a good leader is supposed to be? That's a good question. I would say for. For a non, for lack of better words, for a non-Christian organization, I would say, yes, it's idealistic, but so is turning a profit in a down economy. (laughs) So is keeping your business afloat in a pandemic, right? So just because something's idealistic doesn't mean that we shouldn't pursue it. So I would say in a non-Christian organization, I think it's idealistic to expect servant leadership and humility, um, However, as soon as Christians enter that organization, I think it is no longer about it being idealistic, but it's about it being uh, the reality of changed lives being in that organization. 
So if you're running a bank and there are Christ followers working in that bank, then those image bearers should begin to influence the culture of that organization. I would say if it's a Christian organization, it's not idealistic. It is required. It is mandatory. It is an obligation. It is the least we can do as followers of Christ. We don't get to say we're following the servant leader and then not practice what that servant leader did in his day in and day out. It's one of those situations where change your name as an organization. Don't claim the name of Christ if you're not taking steps to behave like him at every level, including uh, as, as a leader. So uh, if, if, if I'm passionate about that because I, I think it's, it's okay for, an, for a non-Christian organization to default to, well, people aren't perfect and people are going to mess up. And we're, that's all cool when you're talking about Bank of America and Apple. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about the church of Jesus or nonprofits that are serving in the name of Jesus, then yeah, we, I think we are without excuse uh, to, to not make that the goal and to, and, and to expect that from, from the people on our teams and the people that are, that are serving. One question I have, I'll just maybe kind of throw it out there. I obviously have some thoughts about it. That's why I'm asking it. But while I a hundred percent agree with that, Carlo, it sounds, it sounds like what you're addressing would be more about the, the character, the integrity, the, um, you know, to use Christian lingo, sort of like the Christ likeness of, of the leader, I guess, I guess what I wonder, and, and again, totally agree with that. What I wonder though, sometimes is when it comes to expectations about role and expectations about capacity. And I feel like we especially see this in local church context or, or maybe even some nonprofit faith-based ministries. We, I feel like at least, and either of you feel free to push back that sometimes there are unrealistic or overly idealistic expectations placed upon a leader to be many things that he or she just can't be or, or isn't gifted to be. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, again, like where I've seen this probably the most is in a local church setting where there's an expectation that the lead pastor or whatever title you want to use can be very apostolic, you know, sort of that visionary, let's charge the hill, here we go, inspiring, but also incredibly shepherding and tender and care and gentle and thoughtful and also very prophetic, challenging, encouraging, and also a great teacher and preacher, you know, and there's, that's where I feel like sometimes we do have this over idealized or unrealistic expectation of what leadership can look like. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's not really a question the way that I framed <laughs> it, but I, maybe I'm curious what you guys think about that. Yeah. I think you're, the difference is, and, and this is, this was wrestled over the last 50, 60 years of studying leadership theory is, is leadership about traits is leadership about behavior or is leadership about something else. And so I totally agree with you. If I'm viewing leadership as a series of traits, mm. then there are unrealistic expectations put on a leader. As an introvert, Enneagram type five, who's been in pastoral ministry for, for almost a, a decade and a half, 
I know exactly what it's like to have those unrealistic expectations. Oh, you need to be this people per mm-hmm. person shaking hands and, and holding babies and being around people. And um, no matter how much I try to prove from the, the scripture that Jesus was more introvert than extrovert, people mm-hmm. don't like, or people don't like to hear that, but it's true. Uh, he got away from the crowds, right? There's still that un- unmet, there's that unrealistic expectation. So I agree. And I do think that is why you have cr- Christian leaders often hiding in that world of covert narcissism Mm. because they actually want the praise. They, they like the Messiah complex. They like people thinking that they can do all of these things. Mm -hmm. It's feeding some unmet thing in their ego. So I totally think that if leadership is trait, then it's unrealistic. I think if we look at leader as leadership as a series of behavior, then mm-hmm. they can drift a little bit into that. I do think again, though, there are things a leader should do. You mm-hmm. should be humble. You yeah. should be warm. You yeah. should be encouraging. You should be challenging. You should be a visionary. That's, that's the stuff that just comes with the job, right? My, my kind of my thesis statement on leadership is that leadership is hard and traumatic deal mm-hmm. with it. Like that's, <laughs> get over it. That it is what it is. If you, if you, if you, if you can't handle that aspect, then, then reevaluate where or who or how you're trying to lead. But leadership is always going to be hard. It's always going to be traumatic. And, and remind me, I'll, I'll explain that a little bit why I think that. Um, But I, I said, leadership is trait behavior or something else. I'm a fan of leadership as something else. The, the, the philosophical word is ontological, right? Mm-hmm. Leadership is all about the being. Who are you becoming? Who are you inside? The essence of who you are. That, I think, is the sweet spot of leadership. Mm-hmm. And so the unrealistic expectations that people place on leadership, if I view leadership not as some traits I bring to the table or some behaviors first, if I view leadership from the inside out, I think it actually serves as a shield against those unrealistic expectations. Mm. I no longer bow to the whim of the crowd. I no longer live to please all these other people. I don't let that pressure get to me because ultimately I'm leading from a place that's deeper than just what I'm doing or, or what traits I bring to the table. That makes sense. It's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. It's a good distinction. I know sure. you didn't ask a question, but I, that's, no, that's, that's kind of it's good. It's good response though, for sure. So when you said leadership is traumatic, <laughs> do you want to, you want to expand on that a little bit? That's interesting to me. Yeah, for sure. So, so my, my theology of leadership is simply this leader, human beings were never designed to lead other human beings. That's not God's plan. God never planned for humans to lead anyone else other than the family unit. Genesis three happens, fall of man happens. And now God has to raise up leaders to deal with the mess of the people until he brings the ultimate leader, who's Jesus, who then by his spirit empowers everyone who follows him with that gift. In every single spiritual gifts list in the New Testament, there is the gift of leadership. So our ability to lead each other now is a chorus. It's a grace of God. It's a gift of the spirit. It was never God's plan for us to lead each other. That's why it's so hard because we can't do it in our natural ability. We're always going to mess it up. We're going to serve ourselves every time trying to lead in our, on our own ability. It's traumatic because leadership being hard, you're dealing with a series of pressures that never go away. You have internal pressures, starting with the fact that you're a broken human being in need of a savior. So you're dealing with your own mess. 
you also have the external pressure of your environment. So what's going on around you in society, in your in your industry, in the marketplace, globally, how is that impacting your decisions and what's going on? And you also have the people factor. You're a leader leading other broken people who are also dealing with all of those external pressures. So as a leader, you are in a constant war against internal and external pressure. And if those pressures are left unchecked, it will lead to an unethical or immoral decision that will ultimately remove you from leadership. As I studied leadership falls and and why great leaders fall, as I studied that more, I realized more and more and more, so many of those great leaders blew it, not because they were sinful, evil people set to hurt people. They blew it because in their humanity, the only way they could escape from the situation they were in was to blow it up. (laughs) So without even realizing it, They sabotage, uh, and I think we all struggle with this to a measure, they sabotage because the pressure of leadership is that hard. Mm -hmm. You'll actually find yourself going down paths that are just contrary to your your moral compass um, because your actual flesh and blood is screaming for an escape to get out of that. I can't quit. Some guys don't have the intestinal fortitude. They can't quit their job, but they can cheat on their wife Mm -hmm. because that's easier to explain why they couldn't hack it Mm. because I stole money because I had an affair. That's easier to explain. And again, this is happening on a deep, Mm. deep subconscious, like primal level, right? That that's, but that's what's behind a lot of those behaviors. So leadership is traumatic because it beats you up. Your, Mm. your, your body, your soul uh, keeps score. Like the book says, your body carries that your soul carries that. And if left unchecked, um, it's 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 going to point you in a direction that is the opposite of health. So leadership is hard and traumatic. Those are facts, but we still have to lead anyway. We have to lead on. So that's what I, that's what I mean when I say we got to deal with it. Mm. It's not so much get over it and, and don't consider it. It's understand this is the job. People are the job. So if people are the job, then I need to prepare myself and position myself to make the most of it in a healthy way as a leader. Okay. Coming out of that, I have so many questions that I could, that I could uh, chase down. So I want to honor, you know, the flow that we, that we have here, but I also, at the same time, there's a couple of things that you said that weave into some other content uh, that we have further down. So in light of that, I mean, you were, you used some pretty descriptive language there, you know, obviously that word traumatic and just even that picture you painted of leaders who either consciously or subconsciously find some sort of in some way, more extreme way out rather than just walking away or quitting or whatever language you want to use. So it seems to me that there is ample opportunity. There's an abundance of opportunity to become very unhealthy as a leader, to be very, to become very unhealthy as, as a person, you know, uh, as a family member, uh, whether that's family, you know, around you as parents and siblings and all of that, or, or a spouse and kids. So maybe a twofold question and we could spend hours on each of them. First of all, unpack a little bit more the elements of unhealthy leadership. And, and, and then I'd love to hear from, from you, 
how do you maintain knowing that there is so much trauma, knowing that there is uh, so much weightiness to it? How do you, how do you maintain uh, a level of health? And is there ever a time when it's, when it's necessary to remove yourself from, from a traumatic leadership experience? Yeah. Great, great question. Um, I think some of the, so the first question you're asking, what are some of the elements of unhealthy leadership elements or signs of it? Yeah. Yeah. So hands down, you're going to drift into pride. So you're going to drift into, um, I'm trying not to, to use super churchy language, but almost an unteachable attitude. Mm-hmm. You, you drift into a superiority of, of, you know, best your way is best here. I'll just use myself as an example, right? How do I know when I'm drifting into toxic leadership? It's when everyone is wrong and I'm the only one that is right. <laughs> when, when everyone is wrong and I'm the only one that is right, that's a flag for me. Mm. And again, this could just be a Carlo thing, but for me, that's a flag that, wait a minute, something is off. Yeah, why, why do you feel that way? Right. So that's, that's definitely one sign. So the leader who's can, can never be wrong. I used to joke with our church staff, uh, you know, very much like, like riffing a little bit on like Michael Scott type of, <laughs> of prose. I would say, I don't have to be right. I'm usually right. I am right, but I don't have to be right. You know, so believe me, I, I, I struggle with that, you know, uh, in all seriousness, that's a childhood wound for me because mm. I was always accused of being a know-it-all when I was mm. a kid. Cause I was very inquisitive, learned books. And so of course now I sit with, with PhDs and all that and laugh at those people <laughs> who call me know-it-alls, but, uh, yeah. So, so I would say if you're drifting into that pride, I would say, a lack of concern for others. So when my empathy meter starts to run out, that's a sign mm-hmm. of unhealthy leadership. I'm now drifting into the world of sociopaths when I start to lose empathy, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's what a sociopath is. Someone who's incapable of empathy. Yeah. They, they don't feel what other humans feel. Uh, so that's a sign. Okay. I'm drifting into un- unhealthy leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could, again, we can go on and on forever about this. Probably one more that I would add is a, an insatiable desire for isolation Mm. is a sign that I'm drifting into unhealthy leadership. Mm. I believe that solitude is a gift of God, but isolation is absolutely a tool of the enemy. I'm sure Mm. I stole that from somebody's blog or something, but it's, (laughs) it's, I think it's a powerful truth. Solitude is a, is a spiritual practice. It's Jesus discipline, right? Mm -hmm. But isolation Absolutely. That's a tool of the one who wants to steal, kill and destroy. So what does that look like practically? So you're, you're working for a leader who takes all the credit for every idea, even though, you know, it was your idea. They take all the credit. You're working for someone who always has to one up you. Every time there's a story in the room, they have a better story. Anytime someone is talking about a situation, they find a way to insert themselves into the narrative. They find a way to bring the conversation back to them, mm-hmm. where someone who's always the hero of every single story mm-hmm. that they tell, right? All of those are signs that, yeah, that pride monster is, is alive and well, uh, a sign of a sign of a leader who's lacking empathy. I would say it's, it's someone who, uh, is showing low emotional intelligence in your work environment. So this is a leader who, you know, you called in sick 
and they kind of give you a little bit of pushback because you're sick or, you know, you get a flat tire and they don't care. You know, they just get the task done. You know, they, they're not reading the cues. They don't know how to read the room. This is someone who's becoming more self-absorbed. Um, and obviously there's extreme examples of showing a lack of empathy. A leader who's isolated is one who is never available. Mm. Now, if you're available all the time, you're available none of the time. Again, that's a cliche in, in leadership's world, right? So, but a leader who's never around, a leader who intentionally distances themselves, a leader who says, I hate people, right? To me, and especially if you're in, in Christian leadership, go do something else, right? You, it's impossible to do ministry, which is serving and not like people. I hate the axiom that says, I love Jesus, but it's the church that I can't stand. Jesus would never say that. He died for the church, right? So a leader who treats people like they're a chore is someone that you need to watch. Ooh, there's some red flags. Now, calm down. Those of you who are listening who are introverts, I'm not talking about <laughs> getting away to charge your battery, right? right? I'm not talking about, I need two hours alone to write a sermon. I'm not talking about Tuesday is my thinking day where I don't take any meetings. I'm not talking about that. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about constantly being alone. You don't meet with other people. You have no friends, no accountability, nothing like that. That's, those are all signs mm -hmm. of, of unhealthy. There's, again, we could make a list of 25. Those are just kind of the the, the top three that came up. Yep. So second part you then asked was, what can you do to get ahead of that? What are some of the preventive things? How do you mm -hmm. keep yourself healthy? That's yes, right. am I right? Yep. Okay. So a couple things. Number one, uh, and this is definitely more towards those in Christian leadership, although I think it's a truth for everyone, whether you're Christ follower or not, I just think it's a reality. I think everything rises and falls on theology. Mm. So Maxwell told us everything rises and falls on leadership. And I'm not going to say that he's wrong, but I would say there's one thing that trumps that because before I'm a leader, who God is, who I am to God, who I am in Christian community, mm -hmm. who I am in the world. What about my soul? What about the next life? What about the kingdom of God? Like all of those ologies we study, right? They all influence what I do as a leader. Mm -hmm. So before I get to the practical of leading, I've got to have that built on a strong foundation. So if my theology of leadership is off, well, obviously my leadership practice is going to be off. Right. So, so, right. I want to make sure that I, I understand leadership. Did you know the apostle Paul who mentions the spiritual gift of leadership in all of his lists, never referred to himself as a leader mm. ever, mm. ever. He never called himself a leader. He was a father. He was a slave. That was his favorite term, Paul, a slave of Jesus, a slave for your sake. He called himself a slave, a servant, but he never, Pauline leadership never uses the high and lofty language of 21st century leadership. Mm -hmm. Peter, who was most literally the leader of the apostles uh, after Jesus, mm -hmm. Peter doesn't refer to himself. He doesn't flex. If mm -hmm. anyone could flex, Peter should flex on these guys <laughs> and tell them what to do. Instead, what Peter says is, hey, humble yourself under God's hand, right? God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. That's all Peter's leadership. He's talking about being humble, serving, shepherd the flock among you, Peter uses. John, the best friend of Jesus, the beloved one. If anyone could flex this title, John doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. Instead, he talks about this love in action. Mm. He actually says, here's the greatest thing you could do, lay down your life, right? Mm. 
yep. lay down your, so that, so if, as you look at those three, and, and again, I'm not even talking about, you know, James, who I think is an underrated leader in the church mm-hmm. who pulled no punches. It's still all about service, 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 service. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean when I say everything rises and falls on theology. So mm-hmm. have a healthy theology of leadership. That'll save you from a lot of wounds. Yeah. Just, just, I think it's Hebrews that says, remember your leaders, right? So just remember those leaders when you feel lost and astray. I think accountability is an ethical force multiplier. Force multiplication is kind of a military term for the thing that makes the thing a more effective thing. (laughs) So for example, an M4 rifle is just a club until you put a magazine in it. (laughs) And then it's just a club with rounds in it until you put it in the hands of a trained marksman, right? Mm -hmm. So the thing that you add to the thing, and that's kind of a crude example of what a force multiplier is, but, but I think accountability Mm -hmm. is an ethical force multiplier. Mm -hmm. The more people in my life that can keep it real with me and I can keep it real with them, the less prone I'm going to be to suffer and stumble in isolation. Notice I didn't say I'm going to be perfect and not make mistakes. Here's why, here's why leaders blow it. I think in church world, um, and again, I've been in pastoral ministry full time in some some level since 2005. I think there's no safe space to mess up. Mm. There's no safe space to be a human. So in this industry, for lack of a better word, we're talking about Western Christianity, right? As an industry <laughs> in this, I'm just connecting to the podcast you mentioned. So if you talk <laughs> about the machine of, of church in America mm-hmm. for far too long. There was no room for your humanity. So what are my options? Mm. I'm going to get drunk in secret. I'm going to have affairs. I'm going to spend money that's not mine Mm. because I can't tell anyone that I'm struggling. Because if I do, I'm going to lose everything anyway. Mm. Leadership is hard and traumatic. So I think if there are spaces where leaders can be real with each other and struggle, I'm not going to name any names, but I know of a high profile church leader who really, really struggle with alcoholism. Mm. If he just would have had a safe space to say, guys, I can't stop drinking, help me. And it not cost him his job. Mm-hmm. He'd still be leading at the level he was leading. I'm fully convinced of it. Yep. But to your point earlier of the unfair expectations, because mm-hmm. those unfair expectations are put on, well, Christian leaders, we demand more, we expect more. Look, I get all that and agree with most of that. But I think without having healthy accountability, it, it leaves people to suffer um, in isolation. So have, have a good theology of leadership, have a circle of people yep. around you for sure. Those are just two things I think that can really help you uh, beyond the circle of accountability. I would also say have friends. Mm-hmm. A lot of leaders are lonely. Mm-hmm. Stephen Mansfield said most, most guys don't have 12 other leaders that they could call. Mm-hmm. You know, middle of the night, your kid's in jail, you need bail money. Who are you going to call? Like, if you're listening to this right now, just think, think, or if you're at your work, maybe write down a list. Who are the 12 people? Can you come up with 12 people Mm -hmm. that you'd call in the middle of the night if you were in a jam? If you can't think of 12 people, you don't really have the friends you think you do. Mm -hmm. You don't really have the relationships that you think you do. And I think a lot of leaders, leaders struggle through that. So those are kind of three things I think that are the antidote. To, to the other three things. It's good. It's really, really powerful and really practical as well. Even just that last mental exercise. Yeah. A little bit sobering. I don't know if I have 12 friends. Period. <laughs> I was literally trying to think of 
12 as yeah. we were talking. Yeah, I'm all about the leadership of Jesus, right? right? He picked 12 dudes for a reason, right? And of those 12, he had three. And of the three, there was the one that he had the most friendly relationship with. And then there was the one that he was actually investing in to replace him. So if you look at the model of Jesus, for me, if I'm going to say that I'm a Christian leader, then I want my leadership to then model mm. the way of Jesus. So do I have 12 guys? Yep. That's do good. I have three? Yep. Do I have two? Yep. Do I have the one? Yes. And if at any point in my life that gets off, then I know I've got some work to do. Yeah. Let me make some phone calls. Let me invest. Let me change my schedule. You know, it's really good. I don't get it right all the time for sure, but that's what I, I try to do. Yep. So we've mentioned a couple of times this podcast called Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and it is wildly popular right now. But if you aren't aware of what it is, it is a, I don't know, maybe a mini series-esque mm-hmm. kind of podcast um, produced by Christianity Today. And it is looking at Mars Hill Church in Seattle, which was pastored by Mark Driscoll. Um, and it's just kind of exploring the creation of that church, the explosion that it had, the growth, the impact it had, um, and then what caused it to fail ultimately. Um, a lot of looking at Mark Driscoll specifically in his leadership style, which has been called abusive by most people, um, and kind of exploring not just the specific situation of Mars Hill, but this phenomenon that tends to be happening of mega churches with very charismatic celebrity pastors that implode at some point. And I'm deeply into this podcast, like (laughs) most other people. Uh, Last week, I was actually at a podcast discussion event um, where a bunch of people got together to talk about this podcast, which is one of the nerdiest things that I've done. (laughs) I wasn't going to say anything. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. If you went to that, I'm confident you've been to nerdier things. If that I was mean, actually, did. I know that for a fact that you have. So. <laughs> we know people that run a podcasting company. I have worked for those people. Yeah. Um, but but it was actually really interesting. A bunch of local people who've been into the podcast got together at a coffee shop and were just talking about it. And one of the things that came up was this idea of, you know, talking about putting pressure on leaders, talking about you know, who killed Mars Hill than if somebody did. And we were talking about how it's really hard to push back against a leader who has a very strong sense of calling. You know, this Mark Driscoll had a story that he told many times of, you know, basically hearing directly from God, okay, you're meant to start this church and be a pastor of these people. And so, you know, anytime there was pushback or anytime there was maybe should somebody else step in at this point? How can you how can you argue against the Holy Spirit, essentially? And so in thinking about leadership as not, you know, just a checklist of traits a person's supposed to have and a, a role they step into and a, a theology, how do we find a balance in between trusting people who probably very genuinely feel they are called to step into a specific role, albeit a role that tends to have a lot of glory and a time on a podium. How do we balance this idea of keeping people aware of their own pride and helping them um, use their talents, but also acknowledging that God does call people and he does, you know, raise up leaders from 
the the general masses? I think, you know, there's a lot, lot to that question. Ultimately, I have to go back to to the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is not going to be the way of fighting. It's not going to be the way of combat. So, and I don't mean, I'm not saying Jesus is pacifist and all that. That's a different podcast, right? That's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> That's when you'll what come saying, back next time. We'll talk about yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. What, what, I'm, what I'm saying is in, in an example of a church with an abusive leader, um, there's a fascinating concept that a lot of Christ followers just don't follow, which is why not just leave? Like, just leave. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. leave. This is, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to belittle the hurt or the real mm-hmm. abuse or the real spiritual manipulation that I know ha- has happened. I've been in those kind of environments and I know that's easier said than done. Leadership is hard and dramatic, right? It's hard, mm-hmm. but you can leave. And why don't we leave then has to become a question. And at the end of the day, it's the same broken sinfulness that we're fighting. Who's going to be in charge? Who wants to be in charge? That's what causes church fights and church rifts. Who's going to be in charge? I don't like the way that leader is leading. I'm going to stay and fight it and push back against it. And I'm going to try to change that leader. That leader wants to control and dominate these, these wild sheep. I don't like the way they're behaving. I'm going to try to control them. And at the end of the day, it's human beings trying to be in charge of things that they're not supposed to be in charge of. So, so for me, leave, you know, go, go somewhere else, go find, go find health. If you can go find health. And I would say in the context of local church, this is one of those situations where on the rarest of occasion, you, you, you can leave with rare exception. There are people who feel like there's absolutely nowhere for me to go. I I have nowhere else to go. I think 99% of the instances, if I'm in the church where there's spiritual abuse happening, I have all of the power to leave, to walk away. I didn't say blow the church up. I didn't say cause a rift and a fight. Just, hey, you remove yourself from the situation. I think that's that's a really God-honoring thing to do. I think dividing churches and causing splits and, and, and going to war, especially with a, someone who think, well, I'm called to be the leader here. Why fight with that person? Why not just walk away, right? That Why not put Matthew 5 and 6 into practice? And, hey, I'm going to turn the other cheek and just walk away. Mm. Like, God bless you. As for me and my house, we're going to go do something else. I think so much of the, the drama in church leadership. I also want to push back on some some of the what I think are false premises that Mm -hmm. this, this idea of the rise and fall of Mars Hill are built on Mm -hmm. the big false premise. And it's something that you, you mentioned, Emily, you said, you know, a lot of leaders are in this position, you know, that sometimes comes with glory, right? Church position. What we have to understand is the average church size in the United States of America is about 85 people. The average church in America pre-COVID had 85 human beings. A megachurch is defined as any church with more than 2,000 weekly attend- attendees. That's less than 1% of the churches in the United States of America are represented by the loudest voice. Mm-hmm. So to me, for a Christ follower to take all of their cues on what church life looks like from the extreme minority of church life in America is the same as 
someone watching celebrity gossip taking all of their life cues from the extreme minority of the U.S. population, which is the celebrity, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm trying not to name a name. I don't want a reality star to give me advice on how to raise my kid. That's not even a real human that's not even real. Like what they're portraying is fake. It's a machine. So in the same way that I wouldn't do that, I'm not going to take all of my cues from some Christian leader in a faraway space who spoke at a conference or wrote a book that I don't know. Mm -hmm. What I'm interested in are who are the leaders that I do know that I can get close to, that I can get some exposure to. And so it's not a statement against mega church. You know, my, my pastor leads what would be called a mega church, but I know him I've done life with him. I have a relationship with him. I can see him up close and personal. Um, and it's not the size of the church that I'm I'd looking after. It's this character and all of this stuff that's under it. So I would just say to the listener, the stuff you see happening in headline news when it comes to churches, leaders falling, et cetera, et cetera, most of it is absolutely overblown and hyped. It doesn't mean there's not real human beings that were hurt and that were messed up, but it is not actually indicative of what church life is like. I'll share one more stat. There's been a stat that's gone around forever that 1,200 leaders quit ministry every month. 1,200 people leave the ministry, pastoral ministry every month. And that statistic has floated around. Leaders that I respect have cited that statistic. The problem is it's not true. The source that said that claimed that Barna and, and, other groups did a survey and they found out that 1200 le- Christian leaders are leaving ministry every month. But Barna actually said, we don't know what study you're talking about. And Lifeway <laughs> research said we didn't conduct that study. The best that they came up with is someone did a study of like 1200 pastors at a convention. And of those 1200, it was something like 30 or 40% said they'd considered quitting in, in, in the year. And I know that's a consistent stat, especially in COVID about 30 to 40% of leaders are thinking about quitting at any given time. Mm -hmm. So that's alarming, but it's completely different than saying 1200 Mm -hmm. leaders quit. So I like to say, look, ministry is tough, but ministers are tougher, right? Mm -hmm. They're actually sticking with it. Believe Mm -hmm. it or not, Christian leaders Mm -hmm. are doing the hard boots on the ground where remember most churches are 85 people. Mm-hmm. So to me, the hero pastor that we should be celebrating is the pastor who's got a church of 60 people yeah. that made it through COVID, right? My problem with the that podcast is I feel that it is gross. For me, it's not new information. Mm-hmm. Like I lived all that in real time. I studied all that in real time. I watched all that as a church leader in real time. It'd be like someone... The 20th anniversary of 9-11 is getting ready to come up as of this recording. It'd be like someone losing their mind because they just discovered there's terrorists. Like, <laughs> that's how I feel about that podcast. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to diss you, you guys who are into it, but I'm just like, this is not new mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And at what point does it actually become gossip? How is this actually helping Mm -hmm. to advance the kingdom of God? How is it actually helping your soul? How's it actually helping grow? Not to mention who Mark Driscoll is now today, his unresolved beef and tension with all of those other members of Mars Hill. That's between them and Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark has publicly said, 
Hey, I repent, whatever he's, he's, he's done the whole thing and he's moving on with his life as we can like that, or we can not like that. But I guess to me, at what point do we start to drift away from the way of the kingdom? Again, remember our leaders, at what point do we start to drift away from Jesus leadership into this other leadership that doesn't look like Jesus and and now we're feasting on the fall and the frailty and the brokenness of someone else. For me, it's just a dangerous place to be. So mm-hmm. I've educated myself. Obviously, I've, I'm familiar. I've listened to the podcast every episode, you know, that that's available. Um, but I just feel gross. Yeah. Gross getting into it. Yeah. It's been interesting talking to other people about it because there are some people I've talked to who are like, wow, I had I had no idea this kind of stuff was happening or surprised maybe by some of the stuff that did happen. And then I'm surprised at their surprise. (laughs) Like how, how how did you not know that sometimes people are bad and make bad decisions? Um, and, and something else that I think has come from it, um, is it's actually made me feel way more positively about the church and seeing, you know, my experience with it. Whereas I think I've seen some people I know take stuff like, that they've learned from this podcast or just the the general um, discussion of, you know, critiquing leadership and being dissatisfied um, and kind of applied the, the worst intentions on people that we know and in, mm-hmm. in our churches and then, you know, decide every, everything bad is the same amount of bad. And so if something that I don't like at this church, now it's abusive and now I'm going to leave. And our church capital C church, local church suffers because people are drawn to the drama of it all, which Mm -hmm. sounds terrible. Again, not trying to diminish anybody's experience Mm with abuse and church abuse, spiritual abuse. Um, But I think it's important to recognize there's a difference between not liking something and being oppressed by it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like people saying, I'm dealing with persecution because they won't let me say Merry Christmas. Right. <laughs> right. And, and especially those of us on this podcast, I, I know if the once a year we actually want to physically punch something, right. Is when we hear that sentiment because we have <laughs> friends who are actually being, you know, killed and arrested and, and their lives turned upside down because they claim the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, that's maybe a little bit of an extreme example, but I totally agree with what you're saying, Emily. And that's the danger of trauma culture. That's, that's the danger of, of being influenced by something other than the leader of leaders. If Jesus is my influence, I'm going to take my cues from him on how I behave and how I react, Mm -hmm. including to toxic leadership, including to unhealthy leadership. But if I'm taking my cues from something other than him, I'm just going to end up in the same type of pride and isolation and lack of empathy and self-centeredness that, that, that the leader is that that's, that's falling and that's blowing it. So I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm, we, we started the conversation off, right. Talking about what's the ideal. Mm-hmm. Well, if Jesus is the ideal and, and his followers there that are, kept forever in the scripture, if they're the ideal, then that's what I want to start. That's where I want to live. That's going to be my true North every single time I'm encountering my own leadership. Anytime I'm dealing with the leaders above me, anytime I'm dealing with people on my team, and especially as I'm viewing leaders uh, around me in different influences, I want to view them through the lens of Jesus. If I'm viewing them through the lens of culture, 
then I'm going to constantly be in a state of being triggered. Right. Mm-hmm. I love Alex, Pastor Alex Seeley. She said at, at, at some point we have to realize if I'm constantly triggered by everything, I am not walking in healing. Mm-hmm. If everything sets me off, eventually I have to realize that that's a me thing that I need to, I need to, I need to lean into healing in that area. I need to lean into wholeness. I need to lean into to health in that. And so, um, yeah, if, if, if the color of the carpet in your church sets you off so much so that you want to leave the church, come on, like, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, or join the team. Mm-hmm. How about, you know, join mm-hmm. the team? Well, I don't like the direction that our church is going. Well, join the staff, get ordained, call, go to ministry, whatever it looks like in your faith tradition. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I know my fellow pastors, we'd welcome you join us. Right. If, if you have a better way, I'm being a little facetious, but hey, at the same time, if if you have a better way of leading mm-hmm. it, by all means, get on the team, uh, serve. Mm-hmm. What I've experienced, and this is just my anecdotal evidence, most of the time, those, the people with the loudest voice pushing back are actually not involved, not serving. So what makes the Mars Hill story unique is these are people who actually did serve and who, who were involved mm-hmm. in many cases. And so we want to hear them and honor their voices. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to paint with a broad brush over a, one case. That's such a minority. Mm-hmm. Case. Even I'm sorry to keep ranting on this podcast thing, but it's interesting stuff to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the fact that that church is used as an example and it's painted in the podcast as being this trend setting church that started a movement like that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like I was there, we lived it. That was but one of many slices, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It was but one of many things that were happening in, in kind of the cultural zeitgeist of, of cool Christianity at, at the time mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. Mars Hill was just one tribe yeah. of many. There's mm-hmm. Mars Hill in Michigan <laughs> by, by Rob Bell, right? Mm-hmm. With all of its stuff in the emerging movement. There was North Point Church in Atlanta rising. There's all kinds of different movements. Do you know another church that was born in the shadows of what all that stuff was happening? This small little church in Charlotte, North Carolina called Elevation, right? <laughs> Same time, right? Um, and believe me, someone's going to make a podcast about that, please, <laughs> right? <laughs> Too, because I, I know Pastor Stevens not without his share of critic, critics as well. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the end of the day, what I'm getting at is these are such small examples mm-hmm. with massive platforms, um, and I don't want to say that all of the church goes as those movements mm-hmm. went. So, sorry about that. No, Little this is this, there. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a first of all, just, you know, such valuable content, um, certainly, but also just a good picture of how huge this topic is and just how many pertinent sub categories of conversation could be had about it. I mean, we, we could certainly spend a long time going down any one of those. Um, yeah. I want to say as a caveat, when I say I was there, I wasn't literally at Mars <laughs> Hill. I was saying I was a pastor in the United States of America leading yeah. a church during while a lot of this stuff it was an awareness was, was, was going on. Yeah. 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 So, so because of that, I mean, because of just, just how massive this topic is and, um, and in light of the, the time that we are on, I, I guess what I'd love to do is just for all of us very quickly in this moment to put ourselves in the shoes of the listener and 
Um, I think there's been some really important words and concepts that have been thrown around here in the last 60 minutes or so. Um, you know, the, the, the trauma of leadership that you talk about, yeah. the ideas of, of triggers, both in, uh, yeah, just the, the whole gambit of that, that's, or the whole spectrum of that idea of triggering. Um, so just putting ourselves in the shoe of a listener, you know, that, that maybe there are listeners who are just sort of waking up to this realization that there is such a thing as unhealthy leadership in ministry contexts. Um, all the way to the other end of that spectrum where there are people who have grown up, um, you know, on the negative end of experiencing the, the effects of negative or unhealthy leadership. Then on the flip side, I hope that some of our listeners are in context or have been in context where there's really healthy leadership, you know, and they can point to people and organizations and even institutions in a very positive light. So. As we land the plane here for this conversation, I, I would love to throw to all three of us just this question of putting ourselves in the shoe of the listener. Like, what's one word of encouragement or one word of uh, exhortation or even just one like very practical? Like, Carla, you've thrown out a lot of practical suggestions or tips or things of that nature. Uh, what's one thing that we would say to the listener? Okay, as you move forward. Um, continuing to discern in all realms of life. I mean, obviously the three of us are in primarily in the context of Christian ministry at some version, but we've, we've mentioned uh, briefly in this, in this podcast alone, you know, just business businesses or schools or families, or there's so many different contexts of leadership. What's one word of encouragement, one tip, one exhortation or advice that maybe we would want if there's nothing else for the listener to walk away with from this time, uh, it would be this. I've talked a lot, so I'm waiting for someone else to, uh, I was jump. waiting for someone else to go first. <laughs> well, I, I do think not to steal anyone else's thunder, but just listening the last few minutes, it has struck me just how much the word and the concept of, of grief really does play into healthy leadership. Yeah. And, and I do think sort of the lost ability, the lost art, the lost discipline that we have as people, but certainly as followers of Jesus to grieve in healthy ways. And that actually, that makes you a healthier leader. That makes you a healthier just being, if you will, is the ability to grieve well and, you know, to grieve different losses, whether you've been hurt by leaders, the, the to find the ways to grieve those in healthy, redemptive, restorative ways. Whether you are a leader who is overwhelmed by the trauma of leadership, to use your language, Carlo, like to grieve that, to, to, to not try to hide that reality or fake that reality, um, but to acknowledge there is, there are things that as I continue down this road of leadership, I need to grieve. I need to admit our areas of loss and cost. Um, so to me, I guess, that's where I would start. There's probably a lot more that could be said about that, but just an invitation and even sort of like a permission to, to grieve the, the different things that need to be, um, as we, as we find that healthy leadership and the expressions of it. Yeah, that's good. I think for me, um, as someone who doesn't necessarily consider herself a leader, in, in ministry, you know, despite all of the youth group retreats that I went on that told me that was not correct. 
Um, I think for me, thinking more about how, you know, like you were saying, Carla, like the, the Martell example is one church that is not, you know, that's not the narrative for the capital C church. That's not something that is this, you know, widespread problem. And, you know, the church is still good and it's still fine. I think I see a lot of excitement over this idea that like the American church is, has failed and is, is just completely hopeless or, you know, not, not worth saving in a sense. And while it's definitely not perfect and we spend a lot of time on this podcast exploring (laughs) the ways it is in which it is not perfect. Um, you know, the, the headlines don't tell the whole story in a Mm -hmm. sense. And I don't know, thinking smaller, thinking locally about what actually a person's experience with the church is and what, you know, my experience with my church and not maybe my, my uh, assumptions about somebody else's church, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that's, that's way more important. And when I think about that, it is, there's much less despair, I think, uh, in general. For me, I would just remind the listener and hopefully remind all of us that at the end of the day, Jesus is the brand. At the end of the day, if we're Christian leaders in any organization claiming the name of Jesus, he's the brand. It's his platform. It's his message. It's his agenda. We're serving him, right? So as long as I keep that as my true north, Everything will flow from that. I'm not going to get it right all of the time, but I'm always going to have a place to go back to Mm. um, in my leadership because I ultimately know who's really in charge. That's that's the game in leadership. Who's actually in charge Mm. now? Not I'm not I'm not saying and some of you listening, you, you probably do this. Don't abdicate your responsibility because, well, Jesus is in charge. I'm not giving you some little hokey spiritual answer. I'm saying we should take that seriously. Mm -hmm. Right. Think of the cost of discipleship. Mm -hmm. Right. If if he's in charge, then I really need to be mindful of how I'm managing, stewarding what he's entrusted to me. The small little share of the enterprise that he allows me to dip my toe in. (laughs) I need to cherish that as the gift that it is. And if it's a gift from him. And I know the people I'm leading are a gift, then the only natural thing that flows from that is, is cherish it's love, it's honor, it's, it's humility, it's service. It's considering the other's needs as more important than my own. Like all of those things start to flow when I realize he's the brand, he's in charge, it's his work. And you don't have to work in a church either to have that mentality. You don't have to work for a nonprofit to have that mentality. If if you're working at a bank, if you're a school teacher and you're following Jesus, he's equipped you to do what you're doing, to be his ambassador and representative in that little small slice of the world, then it's a privilege. You get to serve because you ultimately know whose whose flag you're you're flying. It's mm. really good. Man, so much. We might have to do a part two. Carlo, thank you again for taking the time to be a part of this and just for the voice and the experience and expertise that you bring. Really grateful. My pleasure.